You're tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network, featuring news, interviews, and commentary on all things Black Hollywood. Hollywood redefined. From Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is Black Hollywood Live Portraits, featuring intimate, in-depth interviews with Black Hollywood stars and influencers. Black Hollywood Live. Hollywood redefined. You're listening to Black Hollywood Live. And now, the host for Black Hollywood Live Portraits, Dario Kristen. Hey everyone, you're watching Black Hollywood Live Portraits. I am your host, Dario Kristen. Here joining me today is DJ Jesse J. What up? Courtney Stewart. Hello, everybody. And our very special guest that we're excited about, he is known as one of the most profitable and bankable producers in Hollywood. Yes. yes. Will Packer is with us today. Yes, sir. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, man, it's glad to be here. I'm really glad to be here. Thank I'm you for joining excited us. Excited to have you here. Yeah. You are a busy man. I know you've been doing a lot of press this week for The Wedding Ringer That's with right. Kevin Hart. We're excited to see it. It's premiering January 16th, so That's everybody right. go check that out. That's right. Go. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Go get it. That's <laughs> right. Opening night and all weekend. You know it. <laughs> now, you are the man because I just read that you have seven films that have been number one at the blockbuster. Crazy. The when you say it out weekend. loud, it just sounds I mean, that's, insane. I mean, it's, is there anybody who even competes with that record? Like, yeah, well, I, you know, I, what I try to do is keep my eye on the future and not, you know, you get to caught up in 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 your laurels and accolades from the past and you know that's where you're in you get stagnant so i like to keep my eye going forward but every now and then i do take a breath and look and say wow what a great track record but what that means is that i've got a great team and i've got a lot of support and that people have come out and supported my films and enjoyed them but yeah man seven 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 number one it's crazy yeah lucky number lucky number seven how many you got on bootleg <laughs> I don't have any that was a trick question. I like that you look at her. Like, she almost answered for real. She did. She almost said. I got wet ring in my purse right now. No, I support the artist community. I do not buy bullets. Uh, we appreciate. <laughs> that. I promise you. Thank I you. Yes, because you're yeah, one I'm of us. So <laughs> I'm glad he looked at hey, you. I want to be paid when I'm acting too. So I am not getting it on bootleg. All right, Thank good, you. good. That's right. That's right. Well, I the wedding right. ringer, it, like we said, comes out next week, and this is you working with Kevin Hart again. It is. You guys yes. seem to be like the dynamic duo. Yeah, we we on a little bit of a roll. We've had a good run, and um, people enjoying. You know, look, Kevin's great. He's having a moment yeah. right now. He's been around for a while. People act like he's new, but yeah. Kevin's not new to this. Mm-hmm. He's been around for a while no definitely but he's a hustler he's one of those that's like whatever it takes he's gonna make it happen he's tireless he's uh you know somebody that the reason we work so well together is because we have similar work ethics um and you gotta have that drive and that motor to never slow down but he's also insanely funny i mean he really (laughs) is you know this is this this film wedding ringer it's cool because it's him doing something he hasn't done yet it's really him in a really true leading man role. Yeah. And not yeah. in the romantic sense so much, but he's the puppet master. He's the one that's controlling this group of crazy zany guys. Mm-hmm. And usually he's one of the crazy zany guys. Mm-hmm. But he's the person that's overseeing it all. It's different for him, but people um, are saying it's his best performance yet. Really? really? Yeah. Hey. They really are. And is it hard to watch him? Because I feel like I would be laughing the entire time on <laughs> you set. Would. I would. Oh, you have would? a moment where I Trust could just me. not be laughing with I him. Still, as I've, I've made, I don't know how many movies with him now, six maybe, but... Um, I still will mess up a take <laughs> if it's that good laughing out loud. It's funny, man. And he's very, very natural and quick and spontaneous, so you got to be ready. Yeah. He keeps his actors, his co-stars on their on toes. toes yeah. Absolutely. Now how from, did you guys, oh. how did that relationship come about to begin with? You know what? Um, Kev and I met at first at an airport. Like, I knew, being in the industry, you guys know how it is. It's so mm-hmm. small. So I'd been around him. I'd been, like, at a poker game with him. But I never, like, really talked to him or knew him. And he was doing a stand-up tour. And I saw him at LAX. And I just went up to him and said, yo, you know, this is who I am. This is what I made. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, I enjoy your stuff. I said, man, I'd love to just sit down with you sometime. I didn't even necessarily have a project at that time. I was just being me, which is, you know, approaching talent. Yeah. And... He was very accessible. He was awesome. And we exchanged information. And then um, on his next tour, I was preparing to produce Think Like a Man. And so I flew down to Dallas to meet with him. 
and he had a show and then we went and and it was crazy because he had his show in Dallas he invited me to come down and we like hung out that night and just party no business just kicking it and we had a breakfast meeting that next morning and I was like I'm gonna see if he gets up you know after kicking it all night to do his <laughs> breakfast meeting go to work he was right on time. He was there. He nice. got up and we sat there and had like the hungover uh, eggs, <laughs> steak and eggs breakfast. But we talked business. Yeah. And we found out that we had a lot in common and our commonality kind of drove the relationship. And then I went and saw his show in Memphis, Tennessee. And then I went to see it in L.A. I wanted to see how he performed in various markets and how he interacted with different crowds and demos. Um and I saw him in L.A., so I saw the show three times. So by then, I felt strong enough about his talent or my relationship with him to go to the studio and say, this is the guy. Because when I first was talking to people in Hollywood about Kevin Hart, there was no, oh, great, Kevin mm-hmm. Hart. There was a, we know Kevin Hart. Right. He's been around. You know, he's not a leading man. He had his chance. He had a pilot. He had a movie. He, there wasn't an excitement about him. But it wasn't until... I really, really campaigned and championed for him to be in Think Like a Man. And that movie came out and was a surprise hit. Surprise everybody else. Um, that's what really put him on the map in terms of a Hollywood perspective. What inspires you as far as uh, coming from Kevin? As far as working with him in so many movies, is it that you are inspired by him as an actor that you find a role or you create a role for him or that as you're 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 working on these projects you're thinking wait i have the perfect guy is it you know just what? that that comes off every time it works or? both ways it works both ways sometimes it's about because i know his talent and skill set it's about when i read projects i immediately will think of him because i know it's something that's tailor made for his skill set right. and then other times it is about developing things around him developing things because I know either his sensibility or I know something he wants to do. And so it really works both ways. Is that what came Wedding Ringer was a project that was already in existence and wasn't written for Kevin. Um, But, and it was a little bit different than what he had done, like I mentioned, but I knew with his skill set, he could do it. Mm -hmm. He could kill it. Um, but then there have been other projects like the character and thing like a man who were, was totally designed for Kevin with Kevin Hart in mind. And is he one of those people that you just let him roll with improv? Because I feel like he just, he has a scene that he yeah. has a particular dialogue and then you just let him roll. And you a just good director will. Yeah. A good director will know how to let him be him and keep the reins on him. You got to keep him within a certain box just to tell your story, make sure the narrative moves forward. But a good director knows how to um, let him be him and let him go and let him run for the for the betterment of the project. Mm. Now, just from the business perspective, like yeah. you said, he had already been around for a while and they weren't hype about him at all. What is it that you feel like you were able to capitalize on or see in him from a business perspective in Hollywood that they didn't get or that it didn't quite communicate with before? You know what? As a producer, I have to be able to have an eye for talent. That's just part of my job. That's just if you're going to be a successful producer, you need to be able, whether it's somebody that's you know got a fan base and a following or not. You have to be able to say, you know what, that's talent. That's somebody I want to work with. So um, I definitely saw that in him. I saw how he was building a really strong fan base through social media, which I've always been very in tune with, and how even though in the Hollywood side it hadn't translated to a box office hit at that point, it translated to, like we were joking, but a whole lot of bootleg DVDs. Right. And you know what that means? That means there's a real appetite for them out there. It translated into a whole lot of Twitter followers. Yeah. That means there are a lot of people that, you know, are aware of you and interested in you. So it it, it made sense. But that's part of what, you know, a good producer should do. And then I know you can't reveal too much about the film as far as like scenes, but I'll tell you everything. What was one of your favorite scenes in the movie that we can expect to see? Um, you know what? There's a scene where, uh, the guys, which is Kevin and Josh Gad and all these groomsmen, cause the, the theme of the movie is that Kevin Hart runs a company and if you are getting married and you don't have a groomsman, you don't have any friends, you don't have a best man, you hire Kevin. <laughs> and he puts a whole fake existence together and you can look cool at your wedding. So... He and all these fake groomsmen that he has brought together for Josh Gad have to play a 
pickup sandlot football game against the uh, father-in-law, the father of the bride. And the father of the bride's got all these old-timers. And the young guys, of course, think they're just going to run these guys over. Well, the old-timers happen to be Ed Tutal Jones, Sean Riggins, <laughs> Joe Namath. They're like real stud athletes right. that play against. So we actually got to film a football scene oh my between God. those two groups. It was super fun. It was in the mud. It's raining. Uh, the guys are talking trash. It was it was fun. It's a very fun scene. And then you seem to always have a lot of diversity in your films. I mean, from the beginning, um, I know that I read that you wanted to focus more on like African American films and and casting African Americans, but you also seem to bring out a lot of diversity in your films. Is that something that's important to you as you are creating these projects? I just want my films to be real and authentic. I want I don't want to make an all white film. I don't want to make an all black film. I don't want to make an all Asian, all Latino. I want it to really feel like the world as much Mm -hmm. as possible. I'm you know, proud of the fact and not shy that my films, you know, feature African-Americans. But most times the characters just happen to be African-Americans. It's not about like something that's specific to African-American culture or something that's like so ethnically specific that it feels exclusionary to other audiences, you know. Um, So and I like that as well. And then now you're originally from St. Petersburg, Florida. Yeah, man, St. Pete. Went to Florida A&M. Whoop, whoop, St. Pete in the house, (laughs) all right. Florida A&M University. FAMU, absolutely. Did you know K. Michelle went to FAMU? I did not know K. Michelle. Did you know that? I bet you they knew, actually. Really? I love I bring that up because a lot of great people went to FAMU, but I just recently found that out. Mm -hmm. Yes. And uh, Common went to FAMU. Keith Kleeschels. Keith Kleeschels went to FAMU. Anika Noni Rose, very talented sister. She went to FAMU. There is a lot of talent from FAMU. Yes, I forget anybody looking over at my publicist <laughs> off screen anymore to see if she's a big K. The list Michelle goes on fan, and on, so right? she's always reminding me about K. Michelle going. Anyway, <laughs> what I found interesting. What's up, K. Michelle? K. Michelle, hey, Michelle in the house. We'll give That's you right. a shout out. Give you a shout. Black Hollywood Live. That's right. What I found interesting is that you're an engineer major. Yes. So how did you transition into knowing that you wanted to be in film from being an engineer major? That's a good question, man. You know what? I um. So I went to FAMU on an engineering scholarship. My dad was an engineer. I always knew that I did not want to be an engineer. But that was my path to getting into college and, and not getting in, but getting a scholarship. And um, along the way, um, I met a guy, Rob Hardy, super talented filmmaker, and together we made our first movie while we were students at FAMU. So while I was in engineering, studying, doing well, making my grades, you know, I always say that it's important no matter where you are, even if it's not where you want to be in life, to give 110% at that moment. Because you never know, number one, who's watching. You never know, number two, what you may learn. Number three, where it may lead. Number four, you can't just start trying to be great at the flip of a switch. That takes practice. Like, you need to always be somebody that gives 110% so that when you do find your passion, when you do say, okay, I'm doing now what I want to do, you're used to already working hard. Yeah. So anyway, I was in engineering school, and I my plan was to leave FAMU and then go and get my MBA because I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I just didn't know what kind of entrepreneur. And we made our first film just as you know, two college kids having fun with cameras. We didn't know what we were doing, really. And it was called Chocolate City, and it was a movie about college life as we knew it. And we hustled that movie um, and made a little money with it because we independently distributed. And we, like, made Chocolate City T-shirts and hats, and we sold them. And then, you know, we had, like, a Chocolate City soundtrack. You know, everybody in college is, like, yeah. a, a poet or a singer <laughs> right. or a rapper. That's true. We put them all on the soundtrack. We sold that, you know. And then we went to the Second Run Theater and talked to them into letting us run the movie. And they did. And we got all the kids to come and made money that way. So by the end of the day, we had actually made a little bit of money. And I said, you know what? This is my entrepreneurial endeavor right here. I didn't know at the time that getting the actors, finding the financing for the movie, helping distribute the movie, marketing the movie. I didn't know that's what a producer did. Right. But ultimately, that's now what I'm doing because it started off as just, you know, some college buddies going after a dream. But how did, where did that spark come from? Was there something before, like uh, in high school, that kind of made you think that direction? Or was it just one night you guys were like, want to try something out? You know what? I have to say that for me, the drive was always to be in business and always to work for myself and always to be an entrepreneur. And the drive for Rob was to be a filmmaker. So I have to say that he was the one that said, I want to be a director. At that time, he was influenced by Spike Lee. 
um, the Hughes brothers. Mm-hmm. He wanted to be, you know, that next, you know, John Singleton. And so I was helping him. And so along the way, I found my passion as a creative business person. And he found his as a filmmaker. And uh, it's funny that you say 110% because uh, as far as being an engineer in engineering school, um, how has that helped you with your career or as far as the little pieces in your life yeah, kind yeah. Of all come together? To- no, that's a good question. Because, because, you know, people say, well, you're not using your engineering degree. But on the contrary, an engineering degree forces you to think analytically. Mm-hmm. That's really what it's about. You know, it's about problem solving in an analytical way when you break it down to its purest form. And I still use that analytical mind in my day-to-day as a movie producer. Mm -hmm. I will approach a problem or a challenge, whatever it may be, in this very, very creative industry in an analytical way, and I think it gives me a leg up. And you had mentioned uh, it's like financing, which is key with producing and, yeah. and producing your projects. I know you worked with Warrington Hudland, mm-hmm. and uh, I think I saw that he was a lot of inspiration for you to figure out how to do financing, and that's really key in this business. Yeah. What were some of the obstacles that you had at the beginning that, you know, when you were trying to get these films put out that you felt you needed to kind of share with people or you like to share with people as they're trying to figure out the same thing with producing? You know, a lot of filmmakers encounter the same common obstacles which are financing and distribution and it's so hard to get financing without distribution but it's almost impossible to get distribution without financing (laughs) what do you do so but you got to start somewhere and i remember warrington hudlin who the first internship i had in the industry was on a movie that he and his brother reggie um did and it was for miramax and the movie was called ride and I was just out of college, and I had done that movie with Rob. It was called Chocolate City. And I remember showing Warren to my movie, Chocolate City, and saying, you know, I'm a filmmaker. I want to be where you are. I want to make movies. I made this movie when I was in school. And he said, you know what? You're already ahead of the game. He said, so many people in this industry are always talking about what they're going to do. They're always talking about what they're about to be. They're always talking about where they think they want to go. But very few are actually doing it. The fact that you have this movie, and he, you know, he like held it up. He said, "This movie is probably terrible," and it actually was. <laughs> but <laughs> point was, he said, "The fact that you have it, right. that you have a movie, puts you ahead of the game." And I took that to heart, and I was like, "You know what? That's the key. Do it. Just mm-hmm. go out and do it. If you don't have the big Hollywood budget or the big Hollywood star, shoot something. Show somebody that you're serious and that you're not just a talker." And it's so inspiring to hear you say, "We, you know, went down to the local movie theater. We, right. you know, we're distributing like ourselves." Yeah. And that was before an age of social media where right. now people are just starting to say, "Hey, you know what? Maybe I can distribute it on my own." Yeah. So that's Oh man, opportunities now are crazy. Yeah. <laughs> in comparison, oh, you know, man, you yeah. can shoot a movie on an iPhone and, and edit it and have on it online same in, in like the same day. Right. Like we had to buy the film. We had to like go and figure out how to cut the film. Like it was a whole nother process. And then you know, to get people to go see it, it wasn't back then. Email wasn't prevalent. You had to go. You had to call people. You had to, like, you know, <laughs> you had to buy you, cousins and you had to beat aunties, page them, and let them call you back. You know, you beat them nine one one. No, yeah. what what happened? I need you to see my movie. You said nine one one. It is nine one one. I mean, it was a whole thing to try to get the word out back then. You know, we were handing out flyers on campus. Yeah. Now, you know, you can sit home and and, and send an email. So it's it's good because it's um it's level the playing field and it's made access easier Mm. and made additional entry points for people but it also means that there are a lot more people doing it there Mm. weren't many people we were the only people back then at famu that were like serious about making a movie now at any college across the country you know there's a thousand you know startup directors but what it means is you got to be that much better. You got to be somebody that now figures out how to make your work stand out, and also filter through the people who are still doing yeah. what you were doing mm-hmm. and, and not just sticking online. And yeah, because it, it can technology. I've noticed 
like you said, there's more of it, but it's a lot of watered down productions, and I think it's due to laziness. Yeah, I hear you. Technology. I hear you. So that's yep. stand up of you for going through all yeah, that. Yeah, thank you, bro. Basically, yeah. you were the, basically, you were the masterpiece <laughs> of film. You were the masterpiece of film. Gorilla styled it all the way out. I tell you what's yeah. funny is that he was an inspiration for us early on really? because that's back during the masterpiece yeah. days. Yeah. And so after we made our first movie, we then moved to Atlanta and we made our second movie. And Master P had made all this noise for selling his own records out of the trunk of his car and going and taking it directly to the people. And we took that same approach with film. And we had our next movie was called Twa. It was an erotic thriller. We had this one of my favorites. We've all seen it. We've all seen it. Actually, watched it last week. I must admit. Hey, all right. And part two. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and we just we took it to the people. We literally drove. We rented a Ford Excursion. They don't even make those anymore. Wow. Yeah, we I was like, do they big make gas really cousin truck. We <laughs> filled it up with flyers and we like uh wrapped the side of it like the rappers were doing back mm-hmm. then and put our movie logo and the and the and the film logo on the side and we drove to every city that we convinced to show our movie in the theater. Mm-hmm. And so I mean I, I remember it was it was Atlanta to Jackson, Mississippi, Nashville, Tennessee, Memphis, Tennessee, Charlotte, North Carolina, Greensboro, North Carolina. Like, I remember the markets. They were primarily southeastern markets. The furthest north we went was Chicago. And we went there because there was a theater that agreed to show it. There was a um, a black theater ownership group. And they had a first-run movie theater, and they let us show our film there. So mm-hmm. we went to Chicago. But other than that, it was a lot of small southeastern markets. Why did you guys end up in Atlanta instead of L.A. or New York? That's a great question. And people ask me all the time about, like, how important it is to be in a particular market, right? Mm -hmm. So when we graduated from from FAMU, um, we were trying to figure out where to go. And we talked about, like, we want to try to make a run at this filmmaking thing. Well, you got to go to L.A. And we say, well, or New York. There's also an opportunity there. And we looked at them, and we said, you know what? Those are really big ponds. And we would be yet another small fish in a big pond. And we said, but Atlanta at the time, and it still is, but then the music industry in Atlanta was just starting to burgeon. It was popping. That's back in the days of, you know, Outkast, TLC, LaFace Records, and Organized Noise. Jermaine Dupri was coming up. Usher had just like, that was when Atlanta and the hip hop R&B music scene was really just starting to pop. Dallas Austin was Mm -hmm. on the map. And so we said, you know what? We'll move to Atlanta. We'll then be a bigger fish in a smaller pond, right? Because there's not as many filmmakers in Atlanta. And we can do music videos. We can, like, eat off the music industry that's there until we can get the film thing going. It was a good idea. We moved to Atlanta. Do you know that we did not get one music video? (laughs) Nobody would hire us. (laughs) Nobody. So our plan, while fortuitous didn't work the way we thought it was going to work because the industry was kind of locked up. There were all these guys that were already doing music videos and that's who all the guys went to the same guy. They went to the same five companies. And we were these new guys out of Tallahassee, Florida and they were like, no, we're hiring blah, 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 blah because he just did the Lil Jon video. He just did the Outkast video. He just did the Monica video. Like, And we were just these new guys and we could not break in. We never got one music video. Oh but thank goodness we didn't because it kept us hungry. Yeah. And it made us then independently produce our next movie. What did y'all do in the meantime to eat and that's, keep going? That's that's another story. But you know what? <laughs> we got time. We got it was, time. It was um I delivered newspapers. Uh, I would get up at three in the morning because we wanted jobs that wouldn't infringe on our film hustle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would get up at 3 in the morning and pack my little Honda Civic with newspapers, <laughs> the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the AJC. Yeah. I would get them in, and you have to roll your own newspaper. A lot of people don't know that. That's It's not like, at least I, then, I it wasn't a, a machine that, no. You get up in the morning. So you get up at 3, you have to go to work, be at work around like 3.30. You have to get your newspaper. So you got to deliver like 1,500 newspapers. You got to take each paper, roll it up, stick it in the bag. If it's raining, you got to double bag it. You got to put it in one bag, oh, put it in the man. other bag, whatever. You get your basket, you fill them up, you roll a 1500 paper. That's an hour. Yeah. Now you go out to your car, load your car, now you get out and drive. It's like 4.35 a.m. now. <laughs> so, And you got to have them delivered by like 6.30. So it's a whole thing. But what it allowed me to do was during the day, 
I was free. I could be on the phone. I could be making calls. I could be calling people in L.A. and acting like, you know, I had this big office that I was running <laughs> in Atlanta. Um, so, yeah, and then Rob Tempt, he was a temp. He would just, you know, do these odd jobs here and there. Um, I, I sold stuff door to door, you know, and that sales kind of still helps me now, honestly, because I'm still selling. Still selling. Mm-hmm. Still yeah. selling, yeah. yeah. How did you guys approach the uh, second movie differently than the first time when you guys were just kind of playing around in college? Uh, moving to Atlanta, what was kind of your mindset as far as working on the next film? You know, um, there were a lot of similarities, actually, in our approach. And what's weird is that there are a lot of similarities still. Really? Even though that first movie, Chocolate City, was like, you know, barely $20,000 and Wedding Ringer is a whole lot more. <laughs> um, the approach is not that dissimilar. It's about getting... Making a good movie and then getting the word out, getting people to want to go see it. So with that first movie, we convinced one theater to show it in our little college town. And then we did everything we could to pack that one theater. With the second movie, we got like 19 theaters in 19 different markets. That was when we drove market to market. We did the same thing. We convinced each of those theater owners to let us show it. And then we did everything we could to pack each one of those theaters. On a larger scale, that's what I'm doing now. Yeah. That's the same thing. The hustle doesn't change, you know. It doesn't stop. It just adjusts. It just evolves. And then after you did Twa and you had such a huge success, I know you got a development deal with Columbia TriStar after that, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. how did your life change? I mean, you went from, you know, distributing these smaller films into now the big studios are looking at you and want to do development deals with you. How did yeah. how did that life change for you? Because I know you were also known as the new power brokers in Hollywood. You were <laughs> you you were, you guys were the man. So how did the life You know it's weird and I, I know, you know, a lot of people watch this show that are, you know, aspiring, right? And that that, that wanna, you know, direct, produce, act, right? And a lot of people think, like I thought, that there's like just that one moment, and then when you hit that one moment, you're done. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. Like, you made it, you know? <laughs> it's more of a progression. It's more of a gradual progression. So it wasn't like it just that one mo- There were multiple moments, multiple moments that were definitely um, extremely instrumental and pivotal, pivotal in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know... How did the lifestyle change? It's hard to say. It's just gradually, you know, the budgets got bigger and bigger. And, you know, my first, like, major Hollywood success was probably Stomp the Yard. Stomp the Yard, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, my first, you know, kind of big indie success was probably a movie called The Gospel. Because mm-hmm. um, we made that for $3 million. It made, like, 15 and 16 So that was a great profit margin. But that allowed us to make Stomp the Yard. And Stomp the Yard allowed us to make Think Like a Man. Yeah. So... Each one leads to a different level, you know. Um, so I would just say that to people that are watching that it's a progression. It's not just like you wake up one day, you know. It's not like hitting the lottery. It's it's a lot of hard work. And over time, you can get to where you want to go if you're persistent enough and you don't give up. And you you seem very consistent with that um lifestyle is that something that your family installed in you because as an entrepreneur it gets hard when you're working those five jobs and you're late at night and you're like trying to be creative but you've been Um, mailing papers working at the (laughs) grocery store all day and then you get in that mode of you know you can't it's hard to connect with people because you're trying to be in this creative place and for you how do you get out of that space of no you know if you you get all those no's how do you get out of that space of this is what I'm supposed to be doing, even yep. though you know I'm not getting this distributor to deal. I'm going to do it myself. How do you? How do you personally? That's a good question, and and like I said, I know a lot of people watching can relate to it because it's it feels like sometimes what am I doing? You know, and I had a lot of those moments. <laughs> like, what the hell is going on? Like, this makes no sense. I'm, and I had an engineering degree. I have an engineering degree. I mean, these ramen noodles. I'm getting up every morning. I'm calling people who will never call me back. I can't. E- I didn't even live in L.A., so it was like I can't even afford to get there to go to their offices to stalk them. Right. I just, you know, was doing the best I could from where I was, and there was just something in me, and something that you asked about family, and I definitely think it was instilled at a young age that said it's not over until I say it's over. And that's the truth. Because there were plenty of times I could have given up, you know. 
because I couldn't get, you know, the money we wanted to get even to make Trois. And then after that, I couldn't get another studio film. And then even after the gospel, it took forever to make Stomp the Yard. And then, you know, people didn't think Stomp the Yard was going to really work. And, and we walked Stomp the Yard around town. Everybody told us no. Everybody told us no to Stomp the Yard. And then we went back to Sony, and Sony said yes. And then it opened big. And then all the other studios said, you should have brought it to us. We would have made it. You know, it's that. It's that kind of mm-hmm. cliche Hollywood, you know, once you're hot, everybody wants everybody you. Everybody wants you, right? Yeah. And then you've worked with some of the hottest African American talent, you know, from Taraji yeah, all the way body. down to uh, Beyonce. Yeah. What? Who has been some of your favorite people to work with, actually? And who would you like to work with that you haven't yet that you maybe want to put in a film? Oh um, man, I Kev is great. Love his work ethic. Idris Elba. Um, you know, one of my best friends in the business. Uh, super talented. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Beyonce. I mean, it's it's been said a million times, making a million and one. She is the queen for a reason. She works hard. Like, that was one thing that being on set with her for the movie we made together was so apparent, was that if she's into a project, she's in 110%. She goes hard. Um so I enjoyed that. And then, I mean, I've, you know, my, my thing like a man cast is so amazing. <laughs> you know, I love those guys. I'd make every movie with them if I could, you know, it just, I mean, Taraji, Regina Gab, you know, Michael Ely, Terrence J and Lala are two actors that are like coming up mm-hmm. that I think are, I don't think I know are ones to watch. You know, I love Megan Good. I mean, that, that cast is great. Gary Owen's very talented. He's somebody that I think, you know, the industry is sleeping on a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, there's so many I'd love to work with, you know, African-American and, and, and not. Um, but, um, you know, I, I haven't worked with Sam Jackson yet. We've talked. Um, you know, I haven't worked with Will or Denzel, you know. Um, but somebody like Michael B. Jordan, definitely want to work with him. Talented young brother. Yep. Definitely somebody that's, uh, that's on my radar for sure. Um, um, Lupita. You know, oh, yeah. she, she's, you know, made a lot of noise this year, but she earned it. You know, John Boyega, super talented. Um, you know, the Black Stormtrooper. Who knew? Right? Who knew? Right. <laughs> and another thing I've appreciated about your films is like with Obsessed and also No Good Deed is that you depict women in a strong format. And is that something consciously that you wanted to do or is it just kind of how the, the script unfolded? You know what? It's um, it's two things. Number one, it's just who I am because I have a great respect for women, especially African-American women, because my mama raised me right. <laughs> um, so I know, you know, their power and I know from whence my strength comes. Right. The other thing is that there's such a huge, just from the business side, there's such a huge, important audience and an audience that for a very long time Hollywood ignored. Mm-hmm. And so I every film I make, I have a component with an eye towards women and especially African-American women because they are a monster demographic. They are mm-hmm. tastemakers. They are influencers. They are loud. And I mean that in a persuasive kind of way. Like if, you know, they're all watching Scandal on Thursday night, you know it because it's trending. Yeah. Don't look at Facebook. It's, 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 forget about it, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's just part of the culture, you yeah. know? And, and so I, I would be remiss if I didn't um, you know, make content with that audience in mind. And do you feel that now there's a shift in Hollywood where you've had such success? I mean, you're known as the profitable producer. Do you feel that Hollywood executives and suits are paying more attention to black projects and, and making notice of that and more willing to green light projects at this point? Some are. Some are. I mean, you have to realize that, you know, Hollywood still by and large is a tentpole business. Um, and so, you know, if you're making a tentpole, everybody has to go see it. Yeah. Black, right, brown, yellow, old, young, men, women, like you're making it for all the quadrants. Um, but there are more financiers and distributors and studios that are open and interested in making movies for and about African Americans um, than before because of the financial success of, you know, some of the films like mine and others. Well, in spite of like the financial success that you guys have all had, and there's been some great films that have come out, there's still, obviously, as we had the Sony hacking scandal and hearing <laughs> this idea that a leading black person isn't bankable abroad, and that's mm. why the lead actors aren't really coming out. And even you mentioning earlier that Kevin Hart's finally getting to be in a real leading man position, right. but perhaps not seen that way by the Hollywood as a whole. Do mm. you think that, is it bull, or is it really just... Uh, or is there some 
some truth in what they're saying in terms of what their perspective is in terms of an international business market. No, there's definitely truth, but I think you have to look at why. You know, I think that, you know, definitely films with African-American leads have not um, historically performed on the level of, of films that their white counterparts have been in. Um, but I think you have to look at why that is. And I think that it is a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm -hmm. Once you say something's a certain way, you contribute to it staying that way. But what I choose to do is look at the progression and how far we've come. Because, you know, be it The Equalizer or Ride Along, those movies are making more money internationally now than they would, even proportionately, 10 years ago. Right. So what that says to me is that the audience is growing for content that happens to feature people of color. And that's a good thing. And I think as the world is becoming more diverse, the studios are recognizing that you need to have some element of diversity for a film to feel authentic anywhere it wants to mm -hmm. play. And then you're also working on uh, Straight Outta Compton, which I'm yeah. ecstatic about. I can't wait to see it. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> what can you tell us about the movie as you're filming right now, and what can we expect to see in, in the film? Well, the movie's wrapped, um, and it is some of F. Gary Gray's finest work. I'll tell you that. It is. Uh, it was a labor of love for he and, um, and Ice Cube and Dr. Dre, because, you know, they all, obviously Cube and Dre lived it, but... Gary lived it as well. He lived that time. He's from that world. And, you know, for those guys, I'm, I'm so happy because this is a film that was, you know, um, a long time coming and wasn't an easy film to make. But people are really going to enjoy it. It's going to deliver what audiences are hoping and expecting and so much more. And is it going to be, we, we've had this discussion on our shows about some of the Lifetime movies that have depicted <laughs> certain <laughs> Aaliyah, no names, Aaliyah, uh, in a certain light that we feel like we didn't really get the real story and the, the meat and the bones of the story. Will we get this in the movie? No question. This is, this is on a different level. This is real. I mean, and I, I think that, um, you know, I know how hard it is to make content, so I am always encouraging of those that are making content because if you haven't made a movie unless you're just admitting that you're just a consumer just a yeah. fan which you can be and if you're just a fan you can sit back behind your keyboard and say whatever you want in 140 characters you have that right but if you're claiming to be a filmmaker unless you've made a film I think you have to be careful about the judgment that you put on other people that are actually doing it. True. So, but that being said, what I will say is that um, I know there's some really, really important historical figures um, like Aaliyah who it would be great if they had a better platform, bigger platform, mm -hmm. more resources, mm -hmm. um, devoted to the telling of their stories because I think, you know, Leah, Whitney, whoever, I think that these are great American stories and I'm so glad that um, the NWA story is, is going to make it to the big screen and, and be in what I think is a proper platform for that telling. Yeah. And then you've dwelled into the television side of things as well. You have yeah. Bounce TV and I know that you have several uh, projects that you're working on with NBC. What was the importance of you kind of transitioning from the big screen to the small screen and producing projects for that? You know, at the end of the day, it's content, right? Yeah. So you're still trying to make the best content, marketable content, content that audiences are going to relate to. But, you know, TV's a different animal. It and it's something I've wanted to do for a while, so I'm really, really excited about the opportunity to, um, to, to you know, get my first show on the air and have people be able to engage week to week with characters that I have a hand in shaping. That's amazing. So, um, yeah, we had a great television development season. We got some projects we we're really excited about. And this is the time of year when, um, you know, the decisions are made about what's going to be on air in the fall. So I'm in the middle of that right now. And I know that uh, we've seen a lot of the other, a lot of networks try and transition into 
filling the space of creating program for African Americans that they normally hadn't done before. We mm-hmm. see VH1 doing it a lot now. Um, I know that you're Greek, you're an alpha, yeah. And there is a new show on VH1 called Sorority Sisters. Right. Have you had a chance to see that? And if you have, what is your opinion on all of the uproar that is taking place around this show? I, you know, I put it quite simply. I haven't seen the show. Um, and so I'm not going to speak specifically to the, the portrayals on that show. Um, but I have made a decision based on, you know, what I do know of the show and, and based on the fact that I'm a proud member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, um, that my projects won't advertise on that show. So, you know, you won't see a wedding ringer commercial, um, on sorority sisters. So that's a decision that I made. I think that, you know, they have a right to make the show, but, um, consumers have the power at yeah. the end of the day. Very true. Um, if you sit there and watch the show and talk online about how terrible it is, all you did is tell somebody in an office that doesn't know you that that's popular because somebody walks in and says, Oh, we trended all night. You yeah. know, they were trending and they were talking about <laughs> it and the ratings were strong and they say, Oh, let's okay. do that again. <laughs> People must like that, you know? So, um, you just have to kind of know that. Um, and obviously there's a lot of negative sentiment out there about it, but you know, I haven't looked at the ratings, but if you're continuing to watch it, then you're telling this industry that that's the type of content they should make. It's true. And then with reality TV as a whole, do you think that it is the demise of real good content nowadays? It's not. No, it is. Um, here's the thing. I think that it's gonna be there. I think that it's not going anywhere. Um, you know, because, you know, it is the economics of it make, you know, so much cheaper to shoot a reality show than a scripted show. Um, and so many people like to watch, you know, the car crash element of it, <laughs> right. I like to say, you know. <laughs> car crash, you know it's terrible, but you can't stop watching. You can't looking. stop watching yeah. it, right. Um, but, at the end of the day, I think that those of us that, that choose to, you know, play in a different arena, the challenge is on us to make something that's just as entertaining, just as provocative, just as edging, just as salacious, or, or not, you know, but make something that people want to see. Because people have a choice. They have a right. They can say, look, I can watch the real blah, blah, blahs and blah, 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 or I can watch this show from Will Packer Productions. Right. Yep. I need to make sure my show can compete with that. And that's on me. That's a good point. And as far as competing, because it's it's interesting, we have this conversation a lot with reality TV. They look for that quick punch to get everybody's attention, mm-hmm. um, which I feel over the years has kind of taken people's uh, attention span away. So to watch these, four, you know, hour long sitcoms, how do you how do you compete with that? As far as trying to lure that audience back to a smarter place, you got to make it entertaining. You know, I mean, it's definitely changed the landscape. Now, yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying it hasn't affected it for sure, because you know, um, well, I guess without selling out, I guess that's the, the question. I think you can make good content that's engaging and entertaining. You know, a lot of people think Scandal is a good show. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of people watch that show, 100%. and it's scripted. You know, it's Shonda. You know, writes the hell out of that show every week. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you can do it. I think it's like when we were talking earlier about like, you know. Um, digital media making it so everybody can make a movie now and now everybody's got a movie so your movie's got to be that much better now there is a lot of you know cheaper non-scripted you know uh, scripted shows reality. Right. Right. scripted reality whatever. Yeah. scripted reality yeah exactly right, right. And yeah, with that's all these, the new thing that's right? the new thing and with all the projects that you're working on how do you go about picking what you're going to put your hands on because I'm sure you get stuff across your desk all day long I get a few, yeah, (laughs) get a little bit. You know what? It's about um, the sweet spot is is uh, you know critical and commercial success, right? If you can have something that's commercially viable, but at the same time is not just slop, just not just eyeballs for eyeballs' sake, says something. I always want with a piece of content for Will Packer that you feel something, whatever it is. I don't care if you laugh out loud or you you afraid or you hurt or you cry. Like I want you. I want it to have some impact. I don't want you to watch out of walk out of a movie or, or turn off a TV show and say, "Boy, I just wasted that hour." Right. You know, mm-hmm. so that's my goal. What's your dream project to sort of see come to fruition? You know what? I I uh, that's a fair question, but 
I don't know that I know it yet. I got a lot of dreams. I dream big. <laughs> I do. I just, you know, I, whether it's a biopic or whether it's a movie that can win an Oscar. I mean, there are a lot of stories out there. Great stories yet to be told. I want to be in the mix of telling some really great stories. That's what I'll say. And who are some of your inspirations in the industry? Or even outside the industry? Um, you know what? I think um, my dad, for sure. I, I have to just go straight outside the industry because he just taught me so much about manhood and just about life. And so for me, the industry happens to be where I work, but it's not who I am. Like, I'm Will Packer. If I was a radio DJ or a corporate, you know, VP... Um, well, I wouldn't be a VP. I'd be the president. But I like if that. I was, I like if that. I was I like in corporate that. America, I like um, that. I'd still be me, you know? And so the lessons that I learned, um, they translate in any medium, you know, about hard work and being upfront and being honest and keeping your relationships and treating people the right way. So I'd have to say he's my biggest inspiration. How did your father take it, uh, that transition from engineering to filmmaking? You know what? He was he was cool. It was my mom that was nervous. <laughs> my dad took the approach because I left college with a degree in electrical engineering and did not take a job. Just went, moved to Atlanta and, you know, was sleeping on the couch. Like it was like, you know, I'm just going for it. And my mom was like, oh, my gosh, what is he doing? You have a degree, you know, to my dad. Honey, are we going to let him do this? What are, you know, is this, are you okay with this? And my dad was like, he's smart enough. He won't let himself starve. He's got to go. Let him go. Let him do. You know, and that's was his approach. He was like, he won't let himself starve. And you have a son in college. I now. do. Yeah. Is he in filmmaking, taking after you? He or? did an internship this last summer um, at Universal, which was great. Oh, wow. So we'll see. He's just a sophomore in college, so we still got to figure out, mm -hmm. you know, what it is. But uh, he definitely, you know, he's got me as an influence. So we'll see. But he's super talented. He's he's way more talented than I am. So we'll see. He can do anything. Would you actually like him to be in the entertainment business? Because some people that are in it yeah, are some people keen don't. on it for their kids. You know what I feel for my kids? Because I I, um, I, I have four kids total. And um, for any of them, I want them to follow their dreams and their passion. And I don't want it to be limited or dictated by my job by my passion by what i was successful in i want them to go for it, whatever it is that they want to do and if you could use one word to describe your career what would you use amazing <laughs> amazing because it has been it's really been amazing you know just with what we're talking about today when you think about from you know on the campus of you know a college that didn't have a film school to delivering those newspapers, to everybody saying no to Stomp the Yard, to sitting here with you guys and able to talk about seven number one movies. Seven. Amazing. Amazing. Powerful seven. Well, we're going to yeah. wrap up, but we will have like five quick personal questions, fun questions that we're okay. going to ask you as we're kind of concluding the interview. All right. Um, all right. First of all, what's your favorite song out right now? Right now? Yeah. Oh, I'm about to say something crazy. Is that, <laughs> is that what, what part of the segment is? Uh, you can say whatever. Move that dope. I would have to. That's just came to mind. I, I, was, I, I was not that expecting was, that. That was. I mean, the camera not even new. I think we need a camera on your publicist. Yeah. yeah, I think that she might have just oh, passed out. Oh no, my publicist is ready for my career to be over. She doesn't want it. I was good the whole time. I gave good, succinct, coherent answers. <laughs> Then you asked my favorite song. I went straight to the most ratchet, <laughs> you, like, you the most even, ratchet yeah. rap song. Right. I was out. not expecting that answer, no, but I, I appreciate that answer. I'm just it look. It, it is it's better than some I could have gave Stacey R. Collins Jackson. <laughs> All right, uh, Justin, cut. go ahead. I'm, I'm too busy what? laughing over the song. If you could be stuck on an island with any actress, who would it be? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm engaged and I love my fiance dearly. Um, uh, so, so I don't know so how, about how actor. That might be worse. That might be yeah. Um, any actress. <laughs> that's such a weird question. Uh, Beyonce. I'm gonna say Beyonce because we could talk about the work ethic that she had. That's right. You know, and our respect for and baby blue. You can talk about baby blue and baby blue. And ba she got to bring the baby. She got to bring the you baby. Know, <laughs> you know. Oh there God. we go. Um, this is even better. Uh, oh boy. <laughs> You would, didn't warn me about this part of the show. All right. Would you hire Bill Cosby for a film? Oh, that's a good question. Um, that's a good question. I 
I <laughs> from the pause, we may have the answer already. I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> I, 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 you have to qualify the answer. I think right. a little bit, but um, you know, it wouldn't. If I hired Bill Cosby for a film, it would be to make a statement. Right, right now, it would be to make a political statement to say that. In spite of it all, this is what I want to do. You don't hire Bill Cosby right now because you want to make a commercial film or because right. you want to make a film that people will come out and see. You mm-hmm. hire him because you are trying to make a statement, because it's controversial, because you want to, you know, get attention somehow. Because I don't... So the answer is no, because I wouldn't do it just for that. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and and everything hasn't come out and there hasn't been any court case or anything like that. So I'm not in a position to pass judgment at all, but that question is actually easy because it, that'd be bad business right now. (laughs) That's not who you want to hire. If you're trying to, you know, last question for you, what's your biggest pet peeve? Um, biggest pet peeve is people who don't respect your time. And there's a couple of different ways you can do it. You can be that, do that by being late all the time. You know, like, if you're late all the time, that just means that if I'm always late, your time is not as important as mine. Mm-hmm. Because we said 3 o'clock, and I'm always getting there at 3.30, 3.45. That 30, 45 minutes, you didn't need it. That's disrespectful. The other thing is people who, um, you know, if we come and we meet and you know I'm busy, and then, you know, you want to keep it going, and we only got an hour, and I have to, like, cut you off to say, listen, I got to go, you know? Right. Like, I think that, and, and that's the other thing is I know, again, you have a lot of people who watch your show that are, are, you know, looking to get into the industry. When you, you know, you got to be persistent, and you got to be a hustler, and you got to be in people's face. I get all that. I've been that dude. You also do have to be respectful, you know? I get a lot of people that, like, come to me and, you know... And they put my head, the hand on my shoulder and don't want to let go. You know what I mean? I got a lot of people that, that don't, um, you know, uh, necessarily respect my personal space yeah. and allow me to, like, you know, move the way I move. Like, let right. me, you know, if you got something, let me give you an answer. Go through the proper channel. Everybody's got channels, you know. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I'm. what am I going to do, really, in this lounge, club, Your restaurant, concert? Okay. What am I going to do right now? You know, but what you can do is say something that will spark and remind me that when you send the email to the right person, I'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember. Right. There's some people that are like, this is my chance. I got Will Packer. He's going to greenlight my next movie. He's going <laughs> to produce it. I'm not letting you go till you say yes. And that's, <laughs> that's a little... That gets a little weird. That ain't yeah, happening, brother. Moment, yeah, yeah, so it's that awkward moment. After the interview. That <laughs> yeah. Well, Will, thank you for joining us today. No, you kidding me? This is awesome. Where can your fans find you on social media? I'm easy. Uh, it's at Will Power Packer. That's me. At Will Power Packer on Twitter. At Will Power Packer on Instagram. Um, Will Packer easily on Facebook. I'm out there. I'm on all that. Snapchat. I'm out there. And so. I love on your Twitter how you uh, use all of your movie, movie. titles. Yeah. That was dope. Picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Well, congratulations for all your success. We're Thank looking you forward to the wedding. Thank you all for having me. January 16th. That's so right. Go see it. Check it out. That's and, right. And uh, we'll see you soon. I love it. Thanks, y'all. Thank Appreciate you. Online broadcast network dedicated to African American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us at info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I'm your BHL announcer, Scipio. Instagram me at Planet Scipio. Thank you for tuning in. The views expressed here are those of the host owner and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.